that. That's nice. That's nice. Okay. You know you need unique New York. That's like high school shit. You know you need unique New York. Yeah. When you laugh, can you try to not <laughs> laugh like directly into the microphone? Why? Because it's too loud? It's too loud for you, Michael? You don't want me to cause a scene? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Yep. That's what's happening. <laughs> yep. Mm. So sorry. My big Jewish laugh is too much for you. You got to tone down the Jew. Well, you got to fucking get over it. All right, fine. I'm you got to tone down the Jew. <sighs> Michael. I'm doing great. You Everything doing I do great. is perfect. All I do is win. All you do is win, 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 no matter <laughs> what. Uh, yeah. First name, greatest. I was talking to Lex earlier, and he said that our Patreon, he's shown it to other people to be like, this is an example of like, what's next in Jewish Patreons. He's shown it to people to be like, hey, like you can do it. Like, here's an example of someone who's doing it. And he was like, you're really the first person to do that. Whoa. So I hope that would be encouraging to you as well. See, you can fail upwards like me too, audience <laughs> members. Yeah. You don't have to know I mean, shit. you already have a really fancy job, so I actually think you're succeeding downwards. Oh, yeah. I'm succeeding <laughs> downwards. That's definitely true. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. It's all the same. It's all yeah. the same. Michael, how are you? Oh. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I mean to say hi. How are you? No, you can say it how, say no, it how you want to say can't. it. No, I can't. It's I have a binding contract. <laughs> call it what you want to call it. I'm a fucking Jew. <laughs> Was that funny? That wasn't funny. It's, I, you know, let, we'll let the listeners decide. Okay. I, You know, I'm fine. You know, I had some, uh, you know, good week. Good week. Good work. What does that mean? A good week. Okay, wow. I didn't know like every <laughs> Jewish word is just a grunt. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you would normally say it, but like... <laughs> it's like a visceral, animalistic... Yeah. Oh, I had a really good... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. That's you now speak fluent Hebrew. I'm working on a new t-shirt. Like a, Ooh, a yes, you're wearing one of your custom sewing creations right now. That's right. It looks quite snappy. I'm trying to create a Jewish, cool, like a cool Jewish look thing. So I'm sewing. I'm happy. I'm running, getting exercise. I'm getting swole, which is like <laughs> weird for me because yeah. I'm a very not swole kind of person. Right. You're transitioning from Nebish to Sabra. Yeah, basically. I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah. And yet somehow we've managed to remain friends. I know. Somehow you tolerate my... Proto-Sabra My proto-Sabra phase. <laughs> phase. Yeah. Where I want the world to know we're anti-Sabra. We're very... Both the hummus yeah. and the type. I'm pro-Sabra like the cactus itself. Like, Is that where the word comes from? Yeah, I think it comes from the cactus. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Okay, wow. But I don't know. You know, I just fucking say shit. I think it's funny because my personality is very much like a cactus. Prickly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a prickly bitch. You're a prick. Yeah, I'm a prick. <laughs> How are you, Hava? How am I? Yeah. Um, I'm well. I'm super caffeinated and a little bit stoned, which is probably like the ideal psychological state for me to be in at all times. Oh yeah, I, I, you seem really jazzed and alive, and you're glowing. Yeah, I've had a lot of study chivruticals in the past three days. I think I had one a day and they were each like pretty intense, but that's like really good for me. It helped me feel like I'm sort of like back on the horse Talmudically. I've been walking and doing a lot of exercise. I feel like there have been times throughout my life and specifically in the past couple of months when my nerves were really bad, where like I couldn't do any physical activity at all. And now I'm just like ravenous for physical activity. She's ravenous, guys. Because I don't know 
you know, when it will be taken away. Mm-hmm. God forbid. Yeah, so that's really cool. And studying a lot. And yeah, planning some new cool stuff for the Shell Ma'ala, for the digital yeshiva that Binya and I started. For a little while, we're going to move away from doing like Talmudic content classes and we're going to do some Talmudic technique classes. Like maybe we'll look at how to prep a sugya. Maybe we'll look at Hebrew dialects, you know? Yep. If you teach a yid <clears throat> to fish or whatever yeah exactly yeah it's one of those situations (laughs) i like that yeah and the fish in this case is a text which you cannot eat no don't eat the text no don't that's cool where can they find out about it well i'll probably post about it on the patreon but also you could email us to join the email listserv i don't know where there there's no oh you should join the shelm Allah facebook group or the shelm Allah discord server we'll put a link in the description i'll put a link in the description (laughs) Anytime you say we'll put a link in the description, just know that you are obligating me <laughs> to do it. Yes, I realize that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. I'm not sorry, really. Oh, they just took down the Columbus, the Christopher Columbus statue in Providence. Baruch Hashem. That's really great. I hope they, like, drop the charges against the people who vandalized it. You know the theory that Christopher Columbus might have been a crypto Jew? Yeah, I have heard that theory. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I try not to think about it. All right. Listeners, if you want to know more about it, just uh, send us a message. We'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll give you the deets. Um, so, Michael, Talmud-wise, you wanted me to pick out some stuff about like leadership and expertise and credibility. Yes. Can you say some more about why you wanted us to do some stuff about that on the show? I think that appealing to experts is kind of overrated. And I think a lot of people on the left feel this way as institutions in general are failing them and experts are proving to be more self-serving for their particular class. Mm -hmm. I often find that the truth doesn't actually come from experts. It's it's usually Mm -hmm. coming from normal, regular people, like normal, regular people who are able to see what's in front of them. And you wanted me to bring it also because I'm a college dropout. That's true. Okay, yes. You are a college dropout. (laughs) It's true. I have dropped out of college at least three times. That's amazing. I know. It's, I'm really, I'm a gold star gay in the sense that I don't have a college degree. Yeah, that is, that's nice. It's interesting that you don't have a college degree. You know all the stuff about Talmud and you're like a self-taught Hebrew learning Jewish scholar. Yeah, there's a sense in which I am seen as less credible in the Jewish world because I don't have a college degree. I mean, I think even among the most, quote, radical institutions that we have, there's still this huge bias towards like only seeing the wisdom of people who are like rabbinical students or have college degrees or like did some really cool fellowship. Yeah, and I would actually go a step further. It's not that like we need to be more inclusive of people who don't have like typical backgrounds. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's a detriment in some cases to have those credentialized backgrounds. Right. Like I see the way that people's minds are trained to think mm-hmm. through a certain lens and ideology that makes them ignore things that normal people who aren't like crazy academic nerds, that's obvious to them. Right. So you would say that my being a college dropout is actually an asset. It's not merely neutral. It actually is helping me think in more interesting ways. I think so. I think so. Like in, in the same way that like being trans makes you think in, in interesting ways, right? Right. I mean, I think all of the ways I've been marginalized and suffered throughout my life definitely have like lended a certain flavor 
to my thinking, people who are on the outside have a unique way of talking about people who are on the inside. Yes. And often it's true. And credentialization is not an exception to the rule. It's not a thing that you can, like, take and anoint yourself with and, like, somehow acquire knowledge that makes you superior to other people. Totally. Well, let's get into our Talmud section. We have like at least a month of material about expertise. Oh, really? I mean, expertise and, and authority is like a huge concern of the Talmud, right? So it makes sense that there's a lot of material. So we have a lot of good stuff to go through. But today we're going to start with a little sugya from Masechet um, Sanhedrin, Daf 17a. So this is from a tractate of Talmud. Tractate. I hate that word. It's from a section it's from a volume of talmud that little snippet yeah well it's not a snippet it's like a bit a sugya is a snippet and a tractate is like uh i don't even know what i that's why we have this word tractate is because there's not a better word i like chonk Okay, from a chunk of Talmud that's mostly about, like, judgment and courts and the rabbinical court system. Okay. I'll just read the first start of the original. Amar Rav Kahana Sanhedre Shera'u Kulan Lechova Potrinoto. Says Rav Kahana, Rav Cohen, basically, is the one who's giving us this statement. A court in which everyone sees fit to convict the person in question and issue the death penalty, they acquit him. So if there's a unanimous verdict for death, he is acquitted. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Wow. 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 People. People. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) Think about the implications here, people. What do you think about it, Michael? You seem pretty excited. I love it. It reminds me of sort of the frenzy hive mind that people sometimes get into, you know, trends of maligning people socially, that like reflects a sort of interesting knowledge that that's a characteristic of being human and it's trying to compensate. Sometimes humans, when they act together out of rage to hurt someone, are actually doing the wrong thing. Right. There's this teaching that if a bait din, if a rabbinic court puts someone to death every seven years... And some say every 70 years, then it's considered to be a bloody court. Whoa. So I think that's really interesting. And also, I just want to say a lot of what I've learned about this sugya and a lot of how I prepared it is indebted to Svara, the traditionally radical yeshiva. That's where I did a lot of my learning about this sugya. It's really interesting. I think it says a lot about how the Talmud thinks about the sanctity of life and the death penalty and just how much it's committed to avoiding. And how much a human can know. Mm -hmm. There's a tacit implication that humans can't know everything, that we're flawed. Mm -hmm. Like that at some fundamental level, we're, we're flawed. And to kill someone is a very, like, complete action there's no possibility of you like fixing that if you find out you're wrong later like there's nothing you can do there's a certain humbleness to that law which say doesn't exist in the current judicial system that we have as far as i know we don't have that kind of check or balance or whatever which is weird because i feel like the american legal system is supposed to be like oh, you're innocent until proven guilty. You have to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, it has lip service to this idea of a humility, of a humble epistemology. Mm. But in actuality, people are convicted, like... Left and And there's plenty of reasonable doubt, you know? So, like, 
I don't know. So maybe that leaves us some room to question, like, did it really work this way? You know, if we were reading the American legal system's messages about itself, I'm sure it, w- it would present itself in a similar way. But we all know it doesn't function that way. Well, you know, I think a statement like if everyone does this, we're actually not going to do it. That implies the limitations of people. I don't think that exists in like liberal conceptions of humans yeah i think an easy way to understand this is whether or not it was factually historically practiced this is what the talmud is presenting to us as how a legal system should function which to me is more relevant than whether this is actually how they made their decisions i have a little more text okay okay let's get into it my tama halanat din where do we learn this legal principle from? We learn that there's this thing called the suspension of judgment. If there's a capital punishment case before the court, after the first round of voting, then they have to wait either a whole day or a whole night. I can't remember the exact time frame. But basically, they have to wait a long time, a whole day, before they can actually enact it and finalize the verdict so that they'll have time to deliberate because they were unanimous in this case that we're discussing there will be no one to argue for the innocence of the person in question Mm. and therefore the process that they're supposed to be going through during the suspension is impossible and therefore the verdict can't be finalized is that what the gemara says yes this is a gemara so that's a explanation provided by later rabbis about why this particular rule exists well i'm actually not sure whether it's let me look at the language my tama is aramaic for sure Yes. It seems to me, on a cursory glance, if anyone out there wants to correct me on this, it seems like the first thing I read, which discusses the process of decision, it's not Mishnah, but it's from the Tanaitic period. So, like, it's a more old layer of Talmud. And then from my Tama onward, the second thing I read, I'm pretty sure, is the Stama, the editor of the Talmud, coming along to explain to us about this legal principle. I do not like that Gamara interpretation. Why? Because I feel like it's doing legal trickery. There's this non-expert interpretation. This is saying, like, humans aren't perfect. If everyone is saying that this is bad, then maybe we're all little nuts and we should not do it. And then there's, like, the legal scholar who comes along and is like, well, actually, technically, it's because there's no one who can rise to the defense of the defendant, and that is the reason why. It's actually a technicality, and we're not actually saying anything deep about human nature here. Well, I I hear you, but... I think this is part of the whole game of the Talmud is that the Stama, the editor of the Talmud, comes along to do all of this work to make everything nice. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily intended to actually make everything nice. The Stama is sort of performing legal trickery as a way to teach us how to become legal tricksters ourselves. Well, that might be the reframing that you have. Well, no, I think that's an established Talmudic understanding. Do you think the author is saying like, okay, this isn't the literal truth. This is just a version of the truth to teach well, you, you how to find the truth. Well, did you read rational rabbis or not? Because if you did, then you would know. You have the book. I <laughs> you need to lend it back to me. Come on. Wait, do you think there is reason to believe that the editors of the Mishnah 
Well, who are the these Stama. The, the Stama. Not the editors of the Mishnah, but the editors of the Gemara. The editors of the Gemara. Do you have reason to believe that the editors of the Gemara were actually just presenting arguments that they found interesting rather than arguments that they believed in or arguments that were Yeah, I don't know if that's exactly the way I'd put it, but I do believe that the Gemara is performatively didactic. Like, I don't think everything that the Stama says is what the Stama believes. Okay, interesting. And I think that's not, I don't think that's like a cool, wild, like, modern thing to come up with. I think that's like... That's pretty standard issue. I don't know if standard issue. I think it's contentious, but I think it has, like, a strong basis in fact. Well, either way, my interpretation is way better. (laughs) That's that's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. I strongly disagree. That legal trickery, I can just pick up from your, like, typical office asshole. Like, I don't need the Talmud to teach me bullshit legal trickery. Oh, Michael. You know, fuck that shit. Fuck it. I don't buy it. I like that the editor comes along to give us this explanation. For one, it it explicates something that wouldn't necessarily be obvious to everyone. It wouldn't be obvious to everyone that the issue here is groupthink. All right. So I think it's worth highlighting that just to prevent misunderstanding. Because on its face, if we all agree, then we do the opposite is just like a nonsensical statement. You need actually a lot of context to get to the way that you interpreted it. Oh, I see. Okay. Like, this is shoring up the principle that we like, not contradicting it. Look, I'm being very Jewish right now. I like (laughs) what the deliverable is. I just Uh don't like the argument for how they got to the deliverable. I think we'll just have to agree to disagree for this episode because you're not going to bring me around. (laughs) And that's good because if we agreed, then we would have to do the opposite. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) That, I guess, is our little piece of Talmud for today, Mm -hmm. is that it's always important to have someone present in the room who disagrees with you. Yes, that is very true, as is happening right now. And the Talmud really doesn't want people to be put to death. Yeah, don't kill people, people. Yep. You know. Cool. And how does this apply to expertise? How does it apply to expertise? Well, this is sort of talking about, like, how does group thinking amongst people in authority happen. You talked about humility before. I think this is sort of dealing with the arrogance that can come with being an expert in power. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. this is sort of like a a structural way to try and stop that from manifesting. Right. In the same way that democracy is a tool that is a way of also dealing with issues of power. Right. It's an attempt. It's an it's attempt. an experiment. Okay, Michael, you little snot. Um, you gonna ask me about my Jew journey? Yeah, what's up with that? What's up with that? Jew journey time. Yeah. Um, I uh, went to a protest. Right. Against the police. Uh-huh. Um, and that was Jewish for you? Yeah, that was Jewish for me. A fellow Jew invited me, organized right. by Jews for everyone. Uh, so that was, that was cool, you know, people yelled at me and some people honked and were appreciative and it was very weird. Uh, it's very divisive. There was some cops there. And this was in your, the sort of affluent suburb where you live. Yeah, affluent suburb. Where you live until you move here to live in Providence. Yeah, I need to get out. It's really. I know. Providence is so much better than where you live. Providence is so much better than Boston too. I know. Sorry, not sorry. No, it's fine. Boston is like a terrible cursed city. I know. But yeah, I went to the process. I had a good sign. It was pretty creative. 
on one side it said cops are worse than cyclists <laughs> and on the other side it said cops are worse than drivers and then if a you know bicyclist was going by i showed them one side and a driver the other side so so it was jewish for you to go to a protest why why well you know i don't like cops Mm-hmm. And I think that, like yes. I mentioned last time, that comes from... Oh, right, from your family's immigration story. Yeah, so like another Jewish thing I'm planning on doing is I am going to interview my dad mm-hmm. about what it was like to be Jewish in the Soviet Union in like the 70s. What? Are we going to put that on the podcast? I want to, if oh he my lets gosh. me. I know, I'm excited about it. Wow, I would love to hear from your weird old post-Soviet dad about his Jewish journey. He's a hunk, by the way. I believe it. I'm so excited to look like him one day. <laughs> like, I'm going to be a silver fox. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I would love to have that. So you you dislike the cops that initially arose out of your family's immigration story. For So for you to go protest the cops was sort of like an expression of your solidarity family's anti-state yeah. sentiment it's 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 all about solidarity people yeah you get out there and, and and make noise try to change people's minds if you have the time and power you know yeah i mean and it's also like a mitzvah to pursue justice so yeah i guess it is a mitzvah to pursue justice i mean it it is <laughs> you don't have to guess <laughs> oh, okay great great <laughs> I'm excited to interview my parents. That's, yeah. that's the most Jewish thing I'm going to do. You're going to be getting a Jewish story and also the process of just like drawing on ancestral stories like that is Jewish in itself. It's fractally Jewish. I love that. Yeah, I'm excited about that. That's the big Jew plan for the, the for The big week. Jew plan. And you're sewing Jewish clothes. Tell me more about your Jewish clothes, oh, Michael. My oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I want to create Jewish clothes that isn't cheesy or tacky in like the way that my reform synagogue growing <laughs> up was like a awful stucco building with like a you know whatever can you describe how you want the clothes you're trying to create mm-hmm, to have mm-hmm. a jewish aesthetic like what are the qualities of that aesthetic i feel like the hoodie i'm wearing right now right. i feel like is a very jewish aesthetic right which because it's geometric it's geometric kind of got that like uh psychedelia psychedelic geometric mosaic-esque patterns subtle references incorporating hebrew letters into the clothing clothing. subtly you want to create like clothes for the modern like kabbalistic sad boy i I like the idea of like the shin and shaddai and like what it means to wear that you want it to be a little bit magical one of the things that really appeals to me about some forms of christianity Mm-hmm. they take the power of God uh-huh. and they like embody it themselves and feel powerful. Like I'm really yeah. into Jesus, like deal with it. I feel so alive with like the Holy Spirit. Right. And you want to feel like somatically Jewish. Yeah, basically. I respect that. I feel like this conversation is the most I've gotten excited. I mean, I really like that you're sewing and I think your clothes look really cute, but this is the most I've gotten excited about your clothing concept so I far. I see. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah. I, I want to incorporate Shaddai and like Shekhinah right. and like that kind of shit into the clothing. Right. Clothing. Shekhinah as clothes. Yeah. And I feel like that's the kind of clothes you could wear wear to like a party or like a yeah. dance yes like, i am, am i await my custom piece well you know i'm working on it yeah i got some ideas mm-hmm. so that's like the exciting jewish project that i'm working yeah. on that is an exciting jewish project if you create clothes that you want to sell we can put them on the patreon all right yeah you can become our in-house designer in-house designer yeah sokolovsky 
Sokolovsky. Time to wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it. Well, that's all, folks. Thanks for listening to another week of Talmudic Ramblings. You can find me on Twitter at HiHowAreYou, and you can find Michael on Twitter at Misfigured. You can email us your questions and snide remarks at HiHowAreYou at gmail.com, or if you're a patron, you can call into the Talmud hotline. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. Join our Patreon. If you enjoy this show, you should definitely join our Patreon. If you join at the $8 level, then it's like you're paying $2 an episode. And you get a sticker. And you get a sticker, a really cute sticker. And if we get five more patrons... Then we'll make the Talmud Hotline public. So you'll be doing a public service for everyone else. But really, the Patreon is how I survive, and I like to think that we're creating content that's worthy of your support, so please go and join our Patreon. And we'll talk to you all next week. Yeah, bye. Shavuot Tov. Bye. Shavuot Tov.